Well, hello there. Welcome to the One Thing Podcast, where we all get to usher in the new age of humanity, Homo Spiritus, by practicing dancing with the one thing that individuals, communities, and countries have yet to try en masse. That one thing is the connection to the higher self part of our true self anatomy that people call by various different names. Our prime directive above all else is to make and constantly return to taut connection day in and day out, moment in and moment out, as our first step in dealing with life problems rather than viewing life problems as things we can solve separately from the one thing. Awesome. And in this episode, we have been sort of talking about Homo Spiritus as an evolutionary edge that humanity is at and moving into. And so in this episode, we'd like to talk about Homo Spiritus and Nisara. Nisara is a document from the 1990s, which is considered to be the National Economic Stabilization and Recovery Act. And this episode is about the constitutionally compatible principles that this act contains that we we believe are worthwhile to consider and we'll talk about how you know there's controversy about whether or not this act um, where what the state of this act is but um, we're not going to address the theories and the um, you know the the conspiracy and the bashing of it and the and the upholding of it we're <laughs> we're, we're it was apparently um, you know whether or not this act was secretly passed in the US Congress, uh, and everybody in the government is supposed to sign uh, non-disclosure agreements regarding this act. We're not going to discuss any of that. We're just going to be using the principles of Nisara itself um, to bring to light some really beautiful ways that we can start making shifts. And uh, we, we don't know what's true and what isn't. I mean, we have certain people that have insights about it but th this isn't the point of the episode but what we do believe is that the document contains really some high-minded principles that are very worthy of discussion in the context of the one thing and homo spiritus yes exactly thank you uh, and we're going to start off by just giving you a little bit of background because even people who have heard of Nasara don't necessarily know what the background of it is. So Nasara, which again, as Lori said, uh, is an acronym for the National Economic Stabilization and Recovery Act, was first developed by a Louisiana State University graduate in systems philosophy and an engineering consultant and teacher by the name of Harvey Francis Barnard. And he was alive from 1941 to 2005. He printed a thousand copies of this Nasara uh, proposal, but it was titled Draining the Swamp, Monetary and Fiscal Policy Reform. And that document was printed in 1996. He sent uh, copies of that document to members of Congress out of the belief that the... the um, uh, framework that he created, that he provided in that document, was going to pass quickly in Congress on its own merits. Uh, and it was based on a theory that debt is the number one economic factor inhibiting the growth of the economy, and compound interest is the number one, quote unquote, moral evil or and reason for debt. So Barnard made several 
other attempts during the 1990s to draw political attention to the problems he saw in the United States economy. And his suggested economic recovery proposal, based on the root causes that he believed were contributing to those problems. Uh, after these didn't succeed, he decided in the year 2000 to release the proposal into the public domain and to publish it on the internet. So he established the Nasara Institute in 2001 and published the second edition of his book on this in 2005, retitling it, Draining the Swamp, the Nasara Story, Monetary and Fiscal Policy Reform. So that's the background that even, like I said, even people who have heard of Nasara in general uh, don't, don't really know. Right. And if you do Google this on the internet, you, you might most likely will get any number of false, um, mostly probably false bits of information, unless it's coming from what David had just, has just mentioned. Um, there's other terms called Jessara with a G, G-E-S-A-R-A, -A, which is actually not what the original intention was designed to be. Um, you know, you might read things like that this bill was signed into act by President Clinton in October of 2000. We don't know any of that um, because none of it is made available to us. But what David just shared is great because that's, you know, so somewhat what we do know, what we do know. But again, to reiterate, we, you know, whatever is true or not true, the principles are so valuable. Our last two episodes were talking about the Constitution and what it means for us as a citizen within a citizenry to, um, you know, to, to walk this path of a dynamic di democracy that is a bit wobbly right now. And so we wanted to just shed, shed some light from this perspective because they're worth considering. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so what we ask of you is, if you have preconceptions, positive or negative, about Nasara, uh, either way, we ask you to set those aside while you're listening to this episode, because what we're going to do in a moment is we're going to walk through the Nasara principles uh, as they as they exist and uh, and tie them in with with what we believe to be constitutional wisdom. So you have that framing around it. Exactly. And we first learned about Nasara um, by a woman named Caroline Oceana Ray, and she's a channel, a very clear channel. I, that's my personal opinion. And um, she has a website called Ascension Times. And this is also corroborated by uh, another body of work called the Rainbow Roundtable, which um, same website rainbowroundtable. Well, we're going to have this in the show notes, so we don't have to worry about that. But um, th th these are metaphysical websites. So if that's not your thing, then just don't bother going there. But if you don't mind, you know, getting some insight from um, the realms <laughs> of truth that get channeled through human beings, then then you might enjoy reading about, you know, some of the history of Nassar from this perspective. Right. And we're, we're just simply uh, using this as a jumping off place for a way of envisioning a new world, an elevated world. Right. And so, you know, when we talk about connecting to the one thing, which is the source of life, and again, use whatever word, just plug in your own 
address to the collaborative field, the collective field, the unified field, the quantum field, the creative field, you know, spirit. Um, you know, all of this really means the same thing. You know, even the word qi could be used as a practitioner of Chinese medicine. That's that's very familiar to me, and it might be to you too. And the reason I'm saying all of that is because as more of us operate with a connection into that uh, source of intelligence, then we have the capacity to access solutions to problems and considerations such as the ones that we'll go through in the Nisara Act with, you know, in our time together. And so let's just talk about the first one. So I will say that there are varying uh, lists of principles. Some have 15, some lists have 15, some say there's 18, some say 20. You'll notice if you do happen to go on the, the various websites that are in the show notes that they, they'll be very, very similar, lots of overlap, but not exactly the same number of principles. So we, we've just put together a kind of a, you know, a, a combination of all of this so we can make our point and have this conversation. So the first one, and so the reason I set it up by saying when we connect into this, this field that already is a, um, a fabric of peace and, and, has, and, and, is, and is held together by the frequency of love, then the, the first principle will make sense, which is that the, the, the Nasara Act, in the first principle, establishes peace throughout the world. And U.S. troops will be brought home from around the world as peace is declared. And this is in alignment with the Constitution, that there won't be standing armies, um, and that and this will be an ongoingly observed principle. And um, it, especially on other lands, like we, we, we don't need to have our presence everywhere. And I don't know, honey, if you want to say anything more about that, but um, that's principle number one. And, my, and let me just say one last thing. A human mind will think, oh, that's impossible. Peace throughout the lands are impossible. But it's actually not impossible when you spend time in connection with the one thing or the source of life. There's this um, entrainment or um, education that happens where you learn. I, this is my personal experience all over, and, I, and the, those I work with, is that there's, um, there's just a deep understanding that it actually is possible. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. And that's spot on. And the, and the second principle is, is very much tied to the first one, which is, uh, which is ending all aggressive United States government military actions worldwide. Uh, and what, what this is related to from the perspective that Lori and I have is that we've, we've talked in prior episodes about imperialism and colonialism um, and and this is what this principle refers to as far as we're able to tell, uh, that the, the principle here, as we see it, is it's better for the United States to be an example of democracy if we, it, when we get back to actually walking that talk, rather than an intruder. So it's not that the United States has no role in the world, but it's it's the it's the newer principle of leadership. The old the old style of leadership was do as I say, not as I am. That approach to leadership is long dead. Anyone who's still practicing that is a dinosaur. What leadership requires today is 
uh, is modeling what we want to facilitate in the world. It's being it ourselves first, and then doing our best to catalyze that with others who are authentically interested in that. And so that's what our understanding of the second principle is. Beautiful. And then the third principle is that it would release enormous sums of money for humanitarian purposes. And, uh, you know, we don't need to know at this very, in this very point of the conversation where that money comes from, but it's just a reallocation of funds. I mean, if we pull troops from all over the planet uh, and reallocate just those funds alone, it would, it would release a tremendous amount of money. Right. And something I wanted to say, forgot to say earlier uh, on toward the beginning of this episode, is that even though we're talking about a document that was written for realigning the United States, if you're listening to or watching this episode and you're from outside the United States, then what I would encourage you to do, and I believe, Lori, you'll agree with me on this, is just consider what the implications or the impacts on your part of the world where you are would be or could be if the United States was moving more into alignment with these principles. And your part of the world looked upon that and thought, huh, we could do that too. And then you, you know, the, the community that is your part of the world got together and started implementing and, and applying these principles. Yes, absolutely. So the next principle is about uh, increasing benefits to senior citizens. Uh, and there are some versions of Nasara that also include with that uh, those with disabilities as well. Uh, and so again, you know, what Lori was saying about releasing enormous sums of money for humanitarian purposes as a result of the funds that are freed up from having more of a, uh, a war-oriented economy uh, also frees up uh, money to care for our elderly in a way that's more full and complete than uh, than is often the case, even though our heritage as a species is that the elderly in a community were cared for, revered, and looked to as sources of wisdom, and the elderly themselves knew when it was time for them to die. They 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 were able to essentially choose their time of death, which I am a real advocate of as uh, conscious dying. And I'm just so that there's no confusion here. I'm not talking about suicide. I'm talking about people's internal ability to say, this is my time. And I've experienced this very directly. Uh, my, my father, for example, he waited until the end of the Jewish Sabbath before he died. He died moments after the end of the Jewish Sabbath so that his Orthodox family members could be by his side. Beautiful. And you know, whether that was conscious or unconscious, it was a soul choice. And yes. our whole point in having these conversations about the one thing is that where we connect our soul's experience, our, our, our more subconscious aspects to our conscious aspects so that there's actually um, an awareness. So, yeah, so the fifth principle is that this act would enable the release of thousands of suppressed technologies that are currently being withheld from the public under the guise of national security. 
So this, these technologies are, uh, include things like free energy devices, anti-gravity devices, sonic healing machines. There's over 6,000 technologies that will be released initially, apparently, followed by the re release of more than 60,000 technologies. And we know this. There's even suppression of um, healing, healing um, modalities and technology. Well, protocols, actually, for mm -hmm. things like cancer and that kind of thing that the average person doesn't have access to it, mm -hmm. it tries to you know get out to people by good-hearted people who understand but it gets shut down so um we we are david and i are for patents when when so let me just be clear about this he and i talked about this that we are in favor of patents and intellectual property protection wholeheartedly because this has been a foundation of innovation from the beginning. So we're not, we're not talking about just the release of all patents for, you know, free for all and no more, you know, no more innovation and, and therefore getting patents for that innovation. We're just talking about the release of that was, which has been held back and the continuation of innovation and patents. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Now we're going to get into some things in Nasara that are the more controversial parts of it or the parts of it that some uh, some are going to find upsetting. Um, and the first of those is about zeroing out all credit card, mortgage, and other bank debt due to illegal banking and government activities. Now, what makes this controversial is the open-endedness of that wording, like who determines what activities, what banking and government activities were in fact illegal. And so there are parts of the financial sector that are not really behind this kind of idea, uh, but that isn't a dimension that's, that's part of the Nasara document. Uh, we don't know how this is going to play out. We only know that this is uh, part of what Harvey Francis Barnard um, proposed as a way of getting the ship righted financially in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so the next thing that might seem a little hard to, you know, get your arms around, <laughs> although most people would jump for joy if this were actually the case or when this is actually the case, is that this act will abolish the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, and all income tax. And David will talk next about what, what that will look like instead, but employees of the IRS will apparently be transferred into the U.S. Treasury national sales tax area. Yes, that's that's what Barnard advocated would would happen. Um, and so what that then ties into, like Lori was saying, was that instead of an income tax, what's created in its place is a 14% flat sales tax that is to only be applied to non-essential new items. Uh, so this means food and medicine would not be taxed, nor would used items such as old homes that might have been transferred down generations uh, in a family, things along those lines. But the notion that a 14% sales, flat sales tax that's applied only to non-essential new items has been 
the numbers have been crunched and recrunched and recrunched for literally decades now by the people who are advocates of something called the Fair Tax Initiative, which is totally in line with this particular Nassara proposal. And the idea of this that I want to just offer briefly right now is from a psychological perspective, when you tax income, you are taxing people for being productive. You're, you're essentially punishing productivity. When you are taxing purchases, you are, uh, you are encouraging people to save for their future. And so the idea of this psychologically is that, uh, from my perspective, that we, it would be psychologically healthier for us to fund the needs of our government that are legitimate, the, the, the needs that our government has that are legitimate and in alignment with the Constitution and in service to its citizens through a, a taxation structure that taxes purchases not effort, not, not productivity, not work. We want people to work and not be punished for working. Yeah, that's a good, a good um, perspective. Yeah. And so principle number nine is that this act would eliminate the Federal Reserve System and that during the transition period, the Federal Reserve would be operating side by side with, with the US, tre US Treasury for one year in order to remove all the Federal Reserve notes from the money supply. Exactly. And what comes next is something that should be completely non-controversial, but because it's been so politicized and polarized, it's been turned into something that's controversial, which is about monitoring elections and preventing illegal election activities by special interest groups. And so the idea here is that in, in a country that is supposed to be a participatory democracy, meaning that, uh, that people vote for those who represent them in government. That's a, that's a participatory democracy, not a pure democracy. What, uh, what this calls for is, is easy access to voting by those who are citizens and qualified or, or legitimately have the right to vote and preventing those who are not uh, legitimately with the right to vote, making sure that they don't vote and making sure that when votes are tallied, that the tallies are accurate. Uh, they're, they're, the idea that that combination of factors in creating appropriate um, fair elections uh, that that should be controversial or politically polarizing is unfathomable, unfathomable to me. An integrative approach is needed. Ease of voting by those who are actually voters, plus highly transparent fraud monitoring. Yes, that would be a welcome change. And the next principle is that um, 
This act would create a new U.S. Treasury currency backed by gold, silver, and platinum, the precious metals, ending the bankruptcy of the United States initiated by FDR in 1933. So that would put us back in right relationship with really with um, with, with our, our resources, with resources. Right. Uh, and what I'll add about that is that our economic system was up until um, 1971, 72, forgive me, I forget whether which which of those two years it was. Speaking off the gold standard, yeah. Right. Uh, there, there was a process between 1933, actually, in, in some ways it started before then, uh, but culminated in 71 or 72, with the United States being taken off of a commodities-based financial system. A commodities-based financial system meant that that money, legal tender, coins and, and paper money, had the backing of precious metals, gold, silver, et cetera, that were supposed to be housed in the, uh, in the U.S. Treasury system, right? And so uh, the, the process of taking the United States off of the gold standard, which was completed in 71 or 72, turned our monetary system from a commodities-based monetary system into what's called fiat money, which is monopoly money. The money itself doesn't mean anything intrinsically except by virtue of us agreeing that it means something. But there's no, there's no commodity backing to the, uh, to the money. And when, when that final nail was put in the coffin in 71 or 72 in the United States, when the U.S. was taken off the gold standard, the International Monetary Fund, which governs the flow of money around the planet, also ended commodities-based currency. So there's, there's a little history lesson and the idea is to is to stop playing with monopoly money and return to uh to tangible real um commodities backed money mm-hmm. yeah now what's what's under discussion is exactly what that backing would actually be because now in the age of blockchain and cyber currency there are other ways of uh, of essentially commoditizing money again without necessarily uh, the commoditization being uh, in precious metals. It may be a both and that emerges. We don't know how that's going to emerge, but it seems reasonable to return to an integrity-based monetary system rather than play money. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Ready for me to go on? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So the next principle is the act would forbid the sale of American birth certificate records. Oh, honey, I apologize because did we didn't talk about eliminating the Federal Reserve. Well, I did uh, in the did you? principle number nine, but I didn't know if you had said what you wanted to say. Yeah, you did. You did. Well, the constitutional law part. Right. That that the idea of, of eliminating the Federal Reserve System is to uh, is to bring 
the monetary system back into alignment with constitutional law. So uh, if the if the Federal Reserve System is replaced, then a new United States Treasury bank system would take its place. Right. And there would be a transition period of, of yeah. well, what was called for was a year, but my belief is that it would take longer than a year to for that transition to occur. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so forbidding the sale of American birth certificate records as chattel property bonds by the U.S. Department of Transportation. Yep. Now, that may come as a surprise to some people. Do you want to say more about that or you want me to? Go ahead. Yeah, because the what what a lot of people aren't aware of is that there is a momentum among some in powerful positions to turn us into commodities, to turn human beings into what's called chattel property. So, um, you know, turn, turn us into a herd of, uh, of cows that, uh, that are going to go to the slaughter. And where, where we are traded, uh, you know, the right to, uh, to own us is, uh, is, uh, sold. So we, we get to be bought and sold. It's a very uh, sophisticated 21st century version of slavery. Right. And it's been going on in various forms for quite a while. So Right. And so what was understood by Barnard was that the, uh, the, the, the holder of those birth certificate records as chattel property was in the hands of the U.S. Department of Transportation. I have no idea whether that's so or not so, uh, but I'm just reporting that that's what his belief was. And wherever those chattel property bonds are, that those would, would end and there would never again be the sale of American birth certificate records. Yep. So... Next principle, restoring financial and personal privacy. So this was something that was added uh, after Barnard's original uh, papers and, and documents on this, because his original papers, as you might recall from what I said about the timeline, were published before 9-11 happened. So after 9-11, Barnard did some re revisioning of his, uh, his proposal in line with the re invasion of financial and personal privacy that was um, legally legitimized after 9-11 for um, security reasons. And again, Lori and I aren't going to get into whether those um, uh, national security reasons were legitimate or illegitimate or some combination of the two, but we're just simply reporting that that's where that came from. The restoration of financial and personal privacy was related to the invasion of those things following 9-11, whether justifiable, unjustifiable, or a combination. And you might recognize that as the Patriot Act, in part. Precisely. And, uh, and that what we have now that he didn't have then was we have blockchain and blockchain technology is a technology that actually successfully preserves both privacy and transparency. So I think if he were still, if Barnard were still alive, I'm pretty sure he would be advocating that we 
transfer record keeping and uh, transactions, um, financial transactions, um, other kinds of sales transactions to the blockchain so that privacy could be maintained and transparency could be preserved simultaneously, even if those things seem like they're in contradiction to each other. Mm -hmm. Cool. And then we're, we're, we only have four more here. So this is the, um, the 15th one. We're going to go to 18. Uh, the principle 15 is returns constitutional law to courts and legal matters, to all courts and legal matters. So I think that's, you know, basically cinching up the Constitution without the workarounds and the soft, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to say it, <laughs> the soft... Um, switcheroos of the constitution uh, in, in all legal matters and in the court system. It's right. basically upholding justice as it, as it was designed to be, originally designed to be. Absolutely. And just to, I know we want to get to the, the rest of these quickly, so I'll just be brief here. But for those of you who haven't had the advantage of really understanding this, the tripartite government system that is the foundation of the United States Constitution has tripartite means three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. The legislative branch is Congress. Congress is required to make laws. The executive branch doesn't make laws. They're not entitled to do that. The judicial branch is not entitled to make laws. The judicial branch is responsible for determining whether there are laws that have been passed by Congress and signed by the president and enacted into law, that uh, whether the, a, a given law is constitutional or meaning aligned with the constitution or unconstitutional, it is out of alignment with the constitution. And so th this is all about returning constitutional law to the part of government that's responsible for that, which is not the executive branch. It's the judicial branch. Yes. Um, initiates a new U.S. Treasury bank system in alignment with constitutional law. So what we talked about, this next principle we've covered before about a Treasury bank system. And the only thing here is that it would be also done in a way that is in alignment with constitutional law. Right, which we said. So you see there's a bit of overlap in some of these. Yeah. So, um, right. And the next one, the second to the last, is it reinstates the original titles of nobility amendment. And do you feel like we need to say more about that? or? Yeah, most people don't even know what that is. Okay, well, you probably will explain it better than I will. Well, Okay, so there there was an amendment to the U.S. Constitution passed in, uh, I don't remember off the top of my head the exact year, but in the early 1800s. Um, was it the 11th? Pardon me? Doesn't matter. Go ahead. Uh, 1811? No, the 11th. Doesn't matter which amendment. Go ahead. I think it was the 13th, 13th. amendment. Pretty sure. Okay. And, um, and this amendment, which there's a lot of controversy over whether or not it was actually ratified by the necessary number of states in order for the amendment to uh, become enacted into the Constitution, added to the Constitution. Um, the, the titles of nobility amendment never made it into the Constitution as a constitutional amendment. But what it, what it was, was that it 
it basically was an attempt to uh, to minimize the chances of external interference in internal uh, in internal operations, meaning uh, interference from other countries in the operations of our country, of the United States in this case. Uh, so what the amendment was about was that anyone who held a, uh, a formal um, title of nobility, like king, queen, Duke, uh, whatever. Duke, yeah. Any any title of nobility that <laughs> that was uh, that was that required allegiance to another crown. Uh, that 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 you could not be eligible to vote, to be a citizen, uh, to participate in government because it was deemed to be a conflict of interest. Now, what this doesn't include is that we have people around the world that the uh, that the British. Have uh, have given a, a title of of dame or sir, Sir Elton John, right? Like that. Uh, that that is a a uh, an honorary title. It is not a title of nobility. So they weren't talking about those kinds of titles because those titles didn't require don't require allegiance to another crown or another country. So this this would reinstate the Titles of Nobility Amendment that never made it into the Constitution as a formally approved constitutional amendment because of some snafus around that process that happened around it in the early 1800s. Okay, last one. Establishes a new presidential and congressional election within 120 days after Nassara's announcement. So what, uh, what, Barnard was advocating was that if Nassara was enacted into law by Congress, passed by the president, then within 120 days after Nassara was activated, there would be a new presidential election and new congressional elections. Uh, and the interim government between the, the um, bringing Nassara into law and those new elections would cancel all national emergencies and return us back again to the principles of constitutional law. Great. So we, I said this before, um, but I want to say two things. One is um, if, if and when you Google any of this, just beware that you might get all kinds of unusual, not, um, not, fact-checked at the at the high-minded way that we would like things to be fact-checked, especially now as we know that fact-checkers are really opinions. <laughs> Not all, but some, um, as, as we're learning. So just just beware that, you know, you're going to be kind of going into the wild, wild west when you when you do your research on this and, and give that some latitude. And so you can see, based on all these high-minded ideals and, and principles, that um, it's utterly necessary, as we started out saying, that we have a connection to the fabric of wholeness and in and high high intelligence. You know, that that would be able to uh, allow us to not only enact and activate Nasara principles, but then live into them as a country, as communities and and a country, and then be that that example to the world. It isn't, we cannot do it the way we've always done it. That that would just be akin to recycling energy. We're talking about rebirthing ourselves, not only as individuals, 
and communities, but also as a country, and then in, in, in a world way. And this is, this is actually what we're in the midst of doing. It seems a bit chaotic and crazy, so it's hard to even tell that that's anywhere near possible. Um, but it, this is just, I don't know how to say this without it sounding a little metaphysical, but this is one of the things that I believe I and, and David and probably many others are here for is to steward th this possibility and th the capacity of us to uh, to live into this, um, at least in the in this country as the US first. And then if you're in another country, whenever you can, <laughs> not that we have to go first, it just appears that we might because the law was enacted here. Yeah, and you might want to just bring that piece home by talking about how this is just not possible to do without connection with Todd. Yeah, I said that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I like it's not possible because I, I wanted he, to hear more. <laughs> okay. Hear, well, it, well, none of this. If any of this, if any all or part of the, these principles sound good to you, just know that it will not be possible to access, and activate, and live into these principles unless we have a, an ongoing muscle being built for 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 regular connection because the patterns of these principles and the capacities to um unfold them into uh, what looks like to be a mess of a country won't be possible without this higher connection mm -hmm. absolutely and so regardless of which of these principles you resonate with and don't resonate with, uh, you know, we, we, all we want to um, lovingly challenge you to do is to really step into a visioning process around what the solution looks like instead of staying stuck in, uh, in trying to fight against what is not working. Uh, so, uh, you know, e e these principles, the ones that that you particularly resonate with, they might seem fantastical and out of reach. But like Laurie was saying, this is the shift of the ages that's underway right now. And whether or not we call this shift Nasara or something else, I think I can speak for both Laurie and me. We, we don't care what it's called. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. We care about the principles and we care about that that we care that the more of us who can envision these higher taught aligned possibilities the more of us who can do that envisioning the faster they can come to pass that's so true and i i this might be true for you but i hear multiple times a day how um hopeless and fed up and discouraged and you know disappointed and all those kinds of things that people feel because all see is what is being played out and so this is a this is another inroad for your heart and your soul and your visioning capacities which is to pick one of these pr principles and and literally see it in your mind's eye as as a possibility within our you know in on our earth let's let's just include the entire earth and when your mind wants to say, oh, yeah, but look at what happened in the past, just remind yourself, we're not recycling the past's energy. We're, we're co-creating anew. And the one of the main requirements for co-creating anew is being able to envision and hold a vision for something 
that is not the same as it ever has been before. So we invite you to get familiar with these principles. And as David said, you know, pick the ones that really or have juice for you and work with them and use use the links in the show notes to go and familiarize yourself with how other people are talking about it and um, the history behind it and you know that kind of thing because it will it will come to life for you if if you take a little time to investigate yes and just so those of you who might be watching this live know there will be a little time delay between the end of this live recording and when the show notes are available, but they will become available. Um, the, the other takeaway that we want to encourage you to do that Lori kind of alluded to yeah. is for the next 18 days uh, or however many days, uh, whichever, just pick whichever of these 18 uh, principles that we covered today that you resonate with and whatever number that is, if it's five, it's, if it's nine, if it's all 18, whatever it is for that number of days, just focus on one of those per day that, that you resonate with and envision it having happened, envision that having happened so vividly that it feels more real than what's currently happening. Great. Thank you for clarifying that. I touched on it, forgetting we, that you were going to say, so you said it really well. And for those of you who feel inclined, you could get a journal out. You could, a mixed media journal, for example. You could put a flip chart page up. You could, if you have any sort of, you know, artistic inclinations, you could dedicate a canvas or a watercolor page and make marks for your vision. Because the imagery and the marks that we make when we have intention around it and envisioning, uh, you know, when we're putting envisioning into it, um, it, it changes the field, right? So it, it don't hold back if that's something that is in, inspiring and you have an inclination toward. And so in our next episode, we're going to be talking about the difference between the suffering and the sacred and how we're, we're sort of leaving this signature that has wo been woven in, in through and around humanity for a long time, which we would call suffering or pain. Um, and, and what we're moving into, which is this whole, it, it ties into all of the themes that we've been talking about, you know, leaving the mechanistic um, pathway into the spiritist pathway. And, and it is a thing. So we're going to just sort of unpack all of that. And it's the difference between war and peace, just to actually speak to, you know, the first principle here in our Nasara conversation. So until next time, remember to dance with your better half, the one thing, whatever you call it, <laughs> so you can keep living more and more fully as homo spiritus. And thank you for being with us. 